This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. pretty easy to try some of the actual recipes. We made bibimbap, which if people don't know, it's a rice dish that's usually cooked in a really, really hot stone bowl so the rice gets crispy. And it's got some pickled vegetables, regular vegetables and meat or fish and an egg on top. And I love bibimbap. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll hear about the natural beauty secrets for your skin. We'll take an armchair culinary tour of the world. We'll discuss the naturopathic approach to Lyme disease. And lastly, we'll learn how to deal with family squabbles during COVID-19. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian owned and has been GMP certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me again. Gordon, you know what I like about this discussion? What? It's going to be COVID-free. It's a COVID-free zone for once, yeah? Yeah, you know what? We've always had a COVID-free um, relationship here because we've always been talking over the phone doing the interview. Exactly. <laughs> As opposed to live in person. So, Wonders of modern technology. Indeed. So what we are going to talk about today is skin and beauty. So now you're going to be the beauty maven on the tonic. Are you ready for that? I don't know about that part, but <laughs> you know what they say, if you can't do teach... <laughs> well, it says I can't be the beauty guy, yeah. all right? I can teach about it. Ugly people can talk a lot about how to make things beautiful. You know that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all beautiful on the inside. and That's that, right. And let's talk about insides, because yeah. I know your view is it's the insides that really determine the outsides, yeah? That, that is correct, because a lot of people approach beauty from the outside. So everybody's looking for the better skin cream, etc. But they don't realize that if you're healthy, you have that natural glow. Right, and that natural glow is what makes people beautiful. Right, I mean, yeah. if you're young, a twenty-something-year-old, you know that natural glow from being youthful is all that what makes a difference. And for us to try and get there again, we have to try and clean from the inside out. Right, there's several ways that people approach this. One of the things I always tell people: detoxify. Mm-hmm. The body is filled with toxins, and I say when they, I don't literally mean filled with toxins. But what happens as you go through life, you pick up a lot of toxins along the way, 
The body has mechanisms to help get rid of it, but if the input is greater than the output, you get a buildup of it. So every so often you've got to do a detox to get rid of some of these toxins. Now, there's nothing magic about these detoxes. Some people think that if you take a detox and you're not throwing up, or sometimes it's just sitting on the post and thrown, right, with, mm-hmm. with like a laxative effect, you're not getting a good detox. Well, that is not true because all that toxins didn't get into the body overnight. You're not going to get rid of it in one second. Of course not. You know what I mean? No. And there are ways and means that the body has has to get rid of it. So we have to work with the mechanisms of the body to get rid of it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, as I understand what you're saying is, look, you know, we get rid of the toxins naturally, like our body is made to do that. But if it, you know, one of the ways that it also happens is, is to go through the skin as well, right? So that go, is correct. So if we're not functioning properly, that just puts an extra that's, load on our skin. Yeah, That's right. So when do you get nicer skin? I mean, nicer skin, people look at healthy skin, there's a glue, right? So mm-hmm. there's no discolorations of the skin, etc. And yeah. what a lot of that has to do with also, even after your detox, you've got to have the right ingredients, for want of a better way of saying it. Something as simple as nutrition. You've got to have enough protein in your system, in your body, right? You've got to have enough uh, raw materials to think to make collagen, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got to have things like antioxidants, which basically help keep the skin healthy, right? All right? So it's not one magical thing. It's a whole, it's an approach. So diet, nutrition, exercise, sleep, all those things are important. It's a holistic, natural approach to That's your right. skin, right? So where the skin is conceptualized as not just the skin, but part of a larger process that your body undergoes all the time. That's right. Uh, one of the things I can't stress enough is the importance of exercise, yep. water, because you find that people who exercise, no, exercise again, you have to look at how you exercise and mm-hmm. how much, yep. right? There are people who go off the deep end with exercise, and if you look at them, they age. They literally look old, right? That's because some of them have overdone the exercise portion, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So you got to exercise, exercise moderation, keep your weight down, control the weight. Your diet is important, right? Now, those are some of the things that everybody has control over, right? But how many of us actually do it? Right, but there are certain things that you can do on the side to help. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, getting back to it, you do your detox, detoxify the liver, right? Mm-hmm. Detoxify the skin. By detoxifying the skin, an exercise program where you could sweat on a regular basis helps get rid of some of the toxins through the skin. Yes. Right? Yep. There are antioxidants that you can take that will help make the skin glow. The reason for you want antioxidants is because. What antioxidants do, actually, they get embedded in the membrane of the skin tissue, makes the skin a lot tougher to damage, and if it makes it a lot tougher to damage, your skin is automatically healthier, okay? So, you know, there are things like vitamin C that you would take, right? There are things like lutein, all those different antioxidants, bilberry, all those antioxidants are helpful. But the idea here is to take a wide variety of antioxidants. Don't just take one type of antioxidant. The key here is a wide variety, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to support all the other organ systems. Is it relevant as to where the source of the antioxidants come from? Food sources are usually the best sources, right? Okay. It's the most enjoyable way of taking it For too, sure. yeah. right? However, most of us don't get that much, 
on the food source, right? Because our diets are a lot different, a lot pickier, right? Yep. A diet rich in fruits and vegetables is one of the best ways of getting it. But if you can't get it that way, you know, you can get supplements that have antioxidants in it, are rich in antioxidants. The key here is to take a wide variety. I always stress a wide variety. Right. Some people just take, for example, vitamin C and say, oh, I take vitamin C, that's an antioxidant, but it's not, you know, your body just doesn't have, live on vitamin C alone. It has everything else. Okay. There's other things that I want to stress too. The ability to get a good night's rest. Of course. That's important. Now, I know a lot of us are stressed, and because we're stressed, we can't get a good night's rest, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, as they say, um, the body wants to sleep, but the mind won't let it sleep. So you, you need to de-stress. Again, ways of de-stressing on that is exercise, right? That's one. Another way of, you know, sometimes you just need a little extra help. So there are different herbs that people have used to help get you sleep. Like there are things like valerian that helps, right? Mm -hmm. But I like formulated products because my mantra has always been there's many roads to, the, to get to the top of the mountain. Yes. And if one road is blocked, if you have many other roads, you will get to the top of the mountain. Uh, so the idea with the formulated products, they all have different mechanisms of action. So if you take something that has many different pathways, right, it will help you sleep, right? Because you may be not find that valerian doesn't work for you, as an example, but something like jujube might help you, right. or passion flower might help, or hops will help. So there are different herbs that are available. So if you're looking for a product that will help you sleep, get something that's a, a formula that has several different herbs and so on in there. Right. And I guess, you know, you're, you're talking about a literal beauty sleep, right? Like, That's I mean, right. You, you know, it's like, you know, we can joke about that. But the truth of the matter is that being well rested and, you know, that's when your body rejuvenates and skin is part of your body. So right. it, it makes total sense. What about I, I know you've done a lot of research into free radicals. How does that come into play? You see, again, you need to take things that will help fight off the effects of free radicals. And this is where, again, we just spoke about antioxidants. Yeah. Antioxidants is one of the key things to fight off free radicals, okay? Yep. One of the key antioxidants for cells, right, or an antioxidant effect to help protect the cells of the skin, etc., is really omega-3 fatty acids. Okay. Right? That's one of them. Don't say, I don't want everybody to think that Dr. Chang said omega-3 fatty acids are one of the key ingredients. So they go out and they only take omega-3 fatty acids and they forget the rest of the stuff right. that I've been talking about. It's one of the keys for the puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. So omega-3 fats are good because what they do is when omega-3 fats gets absorbed by the body, the first place, one of the places that it goes to is into the cells. It's the cell membrane. And uh, those double bonds that are part of the omega-3s, right, what they do, they do two things. Well, they do several things, but one of the most important things that they do, they make the cell membrane more resistant to free radical attack, right? So mm -hmm. if a free radical attacks it, the double bond absorbs that free radical and basically neutralizes the free radical without destroying the cell membrane, right? Hmm. Another thing that it does it makes the membrane more fluid. So, you know, for cells to be healthy, it has to be able to take stuff from outside the cell to move it inside the cell, okay? If the membrane is more fluid, there are protein molecules that flip-flop that grabs things on the outside and flips it to the inside, okay, mm -hmm. of the cells. So that, it makes that process more efficient. If it makes the process more efficient, right, the um, nutrition for the cell is increased, so you can get a lot more ingredients into the cell, so the cell can make a lot more other stuff, right? Yeah. Right? Now, this, when we talk about the nutrition side of it now, you should also think about some of the ingredients that we need to make healthy cells. Right. right? Or the, yeah. Because it's not just cells. You have what's called a connective tissue, 
mm-hmm. right? You can have healthy cells, but if the, the scaffolding or the connective tissue, right, is not healthy, you don't get that bounce in the skin, right? Mm-hmm. So you need ingredients that will help. So things that, something as simple as B vitamins are helpful because B vitamins are one of those things that actually power that conversion, right, the biochemistry to make healthy extracellular matrix as well as other things, right? You need ingredients like collagen. What collagen does, right, the amino acids in collagen gets absorbed by the body. The body then takes that ingredient to make new collagen for your skin, just like anything else. If your body, to make healthy skin, let's say you need five grams of collagen a day, and I'm just using that number, throwing it out in the air, okay? But your body's only getting three. Well, something's got to give, so the body will direct it to the most important things. Okay. Yep. And it'll cheap out on on certain areas, so therefore your skin may not get as much as it needs, right? So this is why you need to get all sorts of different things, and you need to get it in large enough quantities. One of the best ways of doing this is to eat a wide variety of foods, right? Okay. Feeling that supplements is one of the best ways to go. Okay. You were talking a moment ago about keeping your skin nice and strong, and I know you talked about omega fatty acids. Is there anything else that helps? keep our skin nice and strong? You have vitamin C, yep. right? We talked a little bit about the collagen. There's things like hyaluronic acid because all of those things supply ingredients to make your skin healthy, right? We should talk a little bit about trace minerals, okay? Yeah. Trace minerals, again, to build a scaffolding, what they call the extracellular matrix, okay? You need some of these trace minerals. And I talk about trace minerals, things like selenium, zinc, copper. And the reason you need these things is because these things are cofactors in the enzymes that, that are responsible for manufacturing these extracellular matrix, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want you to think that this is all these trace minerals do, but this is one of the most important functions of it, okay? They're also important in a whole bunch of these um, different biochemical mechanisms that happen in the body. So the whole idea with this thing is to make sure you get a wide variety of different things in your diet, Right. Which can be a challenge. So if I understand what you're saying is, look, when when we're talking about these micronutrients and various minerals, they do much more than just help you with your skin. So they're important in a bigger picture, but we're just focusing on the skin health today and skin beauty. That's correct. And and that's why you're raising them. That's right. Now, I just also want to tell, you know, don't forget the other part of it, the detoxification part. Right. Yeah. That's also very important, right? I I don't want people to think, well, we just do this and voila, we're going to be missed 10 out of 10 right. or, or missed a 10 out of 10 type of thing. Gordon, I, I, you know, if I hit a seven, I'm happy. You know, I'm, <laughs> 10 is not in my reach. It's not in my zone. So how do we get to be seven? Well, as I said, we aim high. Yeah. Wherever we end up, it's a lot better than where we were before. Fair enough. So sleep well, eat well, relax well. That's another thing we have to tell people. Relax, right? Yeah. Chill out. You know, go hang out for a bit, you know, because we focus in on the nutritional side of it, right? But then there's also that social psychological side, because I'll tell you, if somebody's happy, everything about them grows. True. Right? You know, as ages creep up there in years, if you look at people, if they're healthy and they're happy as they get older, their skin looks better. I mean, simple as simple as boosting the immune system also works towards this. Okay, how does that happen? Well, again, if you boost your immune system, you're healthy. And if you're healthy, your skin looks better. Simple as that, right? So as you see, somebody who is ill versus somebody who is who's healthy, if you look at them, they automatically look, their skin automatically looks better. Mm-hmm. 
right? So this is what I mean. So keeping healthy, boosting the immune system is also one of those things that people can do. Things like vitamin D is also one of those things that boost the immune system, keep the skin healthy too. Fantastic. Well, you know, you're part of the bigger picture here at The Tonic too, right? And I think regular listeners, I think, understand more than anything else, when we're talking about health and wellness, we are taking a collective approach and everything impacts on everything else. So so a lot of these things, a lot of the supplements that you're recommending are part of a bigger picture. And I know that's the way you look at it too. Yeah, we have to look at it that way. Uh, a lot of people always come say, what's the magic bullet? I try to tell people, there's there not is none. one no. single magic bullet. There isn't. Right. You've got to take a wide variety of stuff. And- Actually, there is one thing. There is one magic bullet, and that's listening to the tonic. There you go. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Next month, we're going to discuss libido, right? Yes, we will. It's Dr. Gordon, the sex guru, next month. Well, I don't know about that part, but we we can try. (laughs) We got to sell it, Gordon. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to take a culinary armchair tour of the world on the tonic. St. Francis Herb Farm is a leading herbal company that is 100% Canadian-owned and family-run in the Ottawa Valley for over 30 years. St. Francis Herb Farm is obsessed with plant medicine. Their holistic approach includes only certified organic and well-crafted herbs. Processes learned over decades get the most out of the herbs, and leveraging science ensures the highest quality. The foundation for their well-made plant medicine. St. Francis Herb Farm is well-known and trusted for their wildly popular Deep Immune that can help you fend off flus and colds, as well as a full range of natural health and wellness products for the whole family. To learn more, visit stfrancisherbfarm.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over five years. And since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. This is a makeup, okay? Because, you know, during the summer, we had contemplated that we were going to go away and you wanted to go to either Sardinia or Sicily, somewhere, some island in the Mediterranean. But of course, nobody's really doing that. And so we're going to have to pretend that we're going away. And sometimes cooking from a cookbook that is, you know, regional to an area is a great way of of sort of pretending you're in that place, right? Absolutely. Like it's not the same, but when traveling is not an option for whatever reason, it's a good way to try to recreate the experience as best you can. Or, you know, even if you've been somewhere and you want to go back, you know, you can sort of reminisce about the food by making the food, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, they travel somewhere and taste something that they've never eaten or, you know, and then try to recreate it at home. And and it won't be quite the same, but it'll bring back those memories. You know, food is really connected to memories. It is. And, and, you know, one thing that we're fortunate about in living in Toronto is, you know, the issue of replicating food from a different 
different country, maybe half a world away, is really getting the ingredients that you need in order to cook it. It's one thing to have the recipe, but if you can't get a certain ingredient because it's not local, that can be a real challenge. And, you know, sometimes supplementing really changes the flavor of the food. But happily in Toronto, we have so many different people from all over the world who bring their food with them. You know, you can pretty much, if if you're determined, you can find those ingredients here. Yeah, if you can't find it here, you pretty much can't find it, you know, most places. Plus, whatever you may think of it, there's Amazon, yeah, which know. is you know makes things pretty accessible. True. Okay, so where are we going today? Where do you want to go? Well, we're going to go to completely different places. We're going to go to Korea, yeah, and then we're going to go to Sardinia in you know in replacement of our trip to Sardinia. Okay, we're starting with Korea. Yeah, let's start with Korea. Okay, so tell us about the cookbook and who wrote it. So we recently came across this book called My Korea by an author called Hoonie Kim. This came out in 2020. The author owns a couple restaurants in New York, Korean restaurants. He was born in Korea. He grew up in New York. But, you know, his connection to Korean food was very important to him. And he trained in the Culinary Institute. He trained at some, you know, real first-class restaurants. But he wanted to open a Korean restaurant. He wanted to train under a Korean chef, but he couldn't find any, which is interesting in and of itself. Yep. So he worked for a Japanese chef and then opened his own restaurants. So he wanted to bring the, you know, the fundamentals of Korean cooking to, you know, to the masses, to make it accessible. Right. And, you know, in looking at the book... You know, there's a core of ingredients for Korean food that, you know, tends to be replicated. You know, obviously kimchi is is a big one, right? Yeah. And he talks about the jang, which I had to look up because he doesn't exactly define it. But that seems to be it's a sauce or a condiment that's made of preserved, pickled or fermented food. That's one of the fundamentals of Korean cooking. And that includes soy sauce, which is fermented, kimchi, all those sort of pickled strong flavors, which in Korea people make themselves. It's a really important part of their food culture. And in fact, I, I remember hearing that people have a separate kitchen to make those pickles in because it smells very strong. We don't necessarily have that here. You can buy it. But yeah. it's, you know, although it seems very complicated when you first look at the cookbook, when you actually think about it, there's a lot of repetition in terms of ingredients. So once yeah. you decide you like Korean cooking and you buy a few ingredients, you'll just keep using them. Yeah. Like most Asian cooking, a lot of the work comes up front in the mise en place, you know, chopping the vegetables, get everything organized. The cooking process is usually pretty straightforward. It's the organization and having the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of, you know, fantastic Korean markets in Toronto. Like if you're looking for even, you know, organic kimchi or vegetarian kimchi that's fresh, you can find it pretty much anywhere in the city, you know. Right. We needed that because the kimchi usually has fish in it and we couldn't have kimchi with fish because of allergies. So, you know, you went and found that. I did. So what did you think of the book? Was it easy to use? Was it well laid out? What did you think of the recipes? I liked it. First of all, I thought it was interesting. I like Korean food and I learned some stuff. When I first looked at it, I thought, oh, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to cook from this, but because I wanted to talk about it and I was interested, I decided that I would. And I'm glad that I did Mm -hmm. because it wasn't actually that difficult. And, you know, I send you to buy gochujang, which is a Korean spice spicy paste that you get in restaurants, which we really like. Yeah. If you've ever had bibimbap before, it's the red sauce that they put on the end. They'll ask you how many spoonfuls you want. And if you're smart and you don't like spice, you say half, (laughs) but you know, like I'm up to one and a half, I can tolerate it, but everybody's different. Right. And gochujang is in a ton of recipes, like not just traditional Korean recipes. Yeah. I really like it as a condiment. So we needed to buy, we bought gochujang, we bought gochujaru, which are the Korean spice flakes, which if you don't have, you can use just red pepper flakes. 
you know, miso, soy, sesame oil, garlic, those you already have. You also bought some dashi powder, which you could use water instead, but it's also sort of a fish broth. And I didn't want to make it myself, but they have instant, just like bouillon. So we bought some fundamentals, and then it was pretty easy to try some of the actual recipes. We made bibimbap, which I don't know if people don't know. It's a rice dish that's usually cooked in a really, really hot stone bowl, so the rice gets crispy. And it's got some pickled vegetables, regular vegetables, and meat or fish, and an egg on top. And I love bimbap. We don't have the hot stone bowls. We didn't do that part of it. But you can also just put the ingredients together and just eat them, you know, without the crispy rice. And that's what we did. And it was great. It it had a number of different components. You have to make the rice, make the beef, you know, cook the the mushrooms and the carrots. And we made some condiments of these... uh, spicy and sweet garlic cucumbers and uh, spicy bean sprouts. You don't need them, but, you know, they were good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that much work. You just have to be organized. And, exactly. You know, but the other the other dish we made was interesting, too. The vegetable noodles? Yeah. This was another thing that you bought at the Asian market, but the sweet potato noodles, which if you've ever eaten a, a Korean restaurant, they will often bring them out for free at the beginning. They're kind of chewy. And they're cold. They're yeah. cold. They're good. Actually, I think reasonably healthy. They're made of sweet potatoes and not expensive at all, but not necessarily available at all supermarkets. So this is a vegetable dish with onions, peppers, spices, you know, there's shiitake mushrooms and these sweet potato noodles. And it was so yummy. Yeah. And it was like, it was light for summer, you know, like it was a good summer dish, like a salad. If you're not a salad person, you could pretend like you're eating your veggies. So it's all good. Yeah. I mean, it's a stretch (laughs) to call it a salad because, but although it was, you know, sweet potatoes are vegetables, but it was a noodle dish. I would definitely make that again. Like everybody liked it. And we added some roasted tofu to make it into a meal. All right. Let's go to Sardinia. Okay. Let's go to Sardinia. Switch directions. I've heard of Sardinia. I've, I've never been there. But I know some people have. It's an island off the coast of Italy in the Mediterranean. And this woman, Letitia Clark, recently wrote a cookbook about Sardinian cuisine, which I thought was very specific but interesting. She is a British chef. She fell in love with a Sardinian and then moved to the island and fell in love with the island and decided to focus her cooking on Sardinian cooking. She talks about how she was cooking in London, and she kind of lost her passion for cooking. And when she went there and sort of became a, a part of the island and as people, she she found her passion again, which inspired her to write this book. And uh, the recipes are rustic. And again, you're, you're looking at limited ingredients, but the combinations are terrific. And, and you made a couple of dishes that were really, really good, I thought. Yeah, it was fun. We made the zucchini with mint, almonds, you know, lemon, an easy dish, but, you know, very summery and fresh cooked zucchini. We also made some pasta, mm-hmm. something called curlogioni. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing it right. It's a special Sardinian pasta, which is like a little pouch, like kind of like a ravioli, filled with potatoes and cheese and mint. And it looks like a little wheat sheaf. It's really regional, specific to Sardinia. Uh, a bit of a production because you have to make the filling, make the pasta, make the sauce, but it was so good. And our daughter helped 
so we had fun planning it. So that was definitely something that was delicious, would make again. We also made it and froze half of it so that we could eat the other half a different time. And you had a little back and forth with Letitia. She was available to yeah. give you some advice on how to cook it from frozen, so it was all good. Yeah, yeah I thought that was great. I, w- I wasn't sure, although she said that you can cook it from frozen. She didn't say how long it would take, and so I wrote to her and asked her, and she uh, wrote me right back. So, yeah, that was great. That was the Curlogionis were a fun thing to make. We also made a different kind of pasta called Trophy, which is a little, you know, rolled, looks like, you know, little fingers that are twisted and also simple to make, although everything takes time when you're making many different pieces of it. So the simple semolina and water dough with pesto, tuna, and tomatoes. It was also great. I really like pasta that's a bit chewy, and both of these were as long as you don't overcook them. We held back on the tuna. We didn't we, use... We didn't use the tuna, but we otherwise used her pesto sauce, yes. which was good and had some garlic tomatoes too. It was, it was yummy. Definitely make that again. I even made, she had a recipe for orzo, not homemade orzo, but orzo with butter and cheese which is a comfort dish that we served on the side, which could not be bad, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like Italian craft dinner. What could yeah, be, exactly. What could be bad about that? Yeah. All right, so we, we really can't discuss, we don't have time to discuss other books in detail, but maybe there's two other cuisines that, you know, that you saw cookbooks for that people might be interested. Sure, I mean, and there's so many, but a couple that I've seen that are just regional and might be interesting to you. One, Alpine Cooking, a woman named Meredith Erickson. So this is focusing on the cuisine up in the Alpine, in the mountains, and it's divided into Switzerland, Italy, France, and Austria. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's pasta, there's... Schnitzel, uh, schnitzel fondue. Yeah. I was looking at it recently, and of course it's hot outside, and I'm looking at all the snow and mountains, so it seemed a bit weird. But if you love that cuisine, if you've been to the mountains and you miss it, go look at this cookbook because it will definitely bring back these memories to you. You know, definitely look yummy. Mm-hmm. Also, Beyond the North Wind, Russia in lore and recipes, very specific modern Russian cuisine, which had some similarities to the Korean food, interestingly, with the pickling and preserves. But, you know, a fun, interesting cookbook to look at if you want to learn about a region or learn about their recipes, even if you can't travel there. Fantastic. Next best thing. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're Uh, welcome. You're going to come back next month for sure, yeah? Absolutely. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the naturopathic approach to Lyme disease on The Tonic. Are you stressed out? Feel exhausted? Having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, chill pills, and sleep aid from New Roots Herbal. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. For more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of a medical issue and using natural therapies either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So, you know, we're well into summer now, and that means a lot of people who probably aren't traveling abroad are renting cottages or getting away and hiking this past weekend. We did a two-hour hike outside of the city. And what that means is people are potentially exposing themselves to Lyme disease. And potentially. potentially. So let's talk about it and let's talk about whether or not there's a natural approach to dealing with it. So how do you contract Lyme disease? So Lyme disease is contracted from being bit by a tick. But it's important to note that just because you're bit by a tick doesn't mean you have Lyme disease. The tick has to be carrying a certain bacteria that causes Lyme disease, which is known as Borrelia burgdorferi. And that bacteria has to be transferred to you during a bite from a tick. And this topic, as you probably know, and as we'll get into, is very controversial on how common Lyme disease is how it's treated, what the symptoms are, and et cetera. It's very nebulous. When I was practicing law, I was doing some litigation work with respect to long-term disability, and this was many decades ago. And at that point, Lyme disease wasn't, there wasn't consensus on the diagnosis. There wasn't consensus on what the symptomology was. So it was a very hard thing to prove to an insurer that somebody had it because it's quite debilitating if you do have it. So let's discuss what those symptoms are. Right. So years ago, and still, depending on who the practitioner is, there seems to be this classic diagnostic criteria for Lyme disease, which is being bit by a tick, seeing that tick, which is also, you know, because ticks are so small, a lot of people actually get bit by a tick and have no idea that the tick is there. Right. But there's a lot of practitioners want to see this bullseye rash from a tick. Yep. And the more recent literature is saying that up to 70% of people that get bitten by a tick, even if they develop Lyme disease, never develop a bullseye rash. So first, you know, you could have a bullseye rash. You might not. After being bit by a tick, most people that if the Lyme disease is transferred into the individual, they'll develop flu-like symptoms, which again, if you're hiking, you don't know you're bit by a tick. A day or two later, you feel like you're coming down with a little bit of a flu and a fever. A lot of people don't think anything of it. After a few days, that goes away. And some people feel a lot better for anywhere from two months to to maybe six months. And then the second stage of symptoms began, which is generally joint pain. The joint pain typically with Lyme disease is a little bit nuanced in that it moves around. So it's not just that it's in the hips. A lot of people experience traveling joint pain. So it's in the knee and then it's in the hips and then it's in the shoulder and then it subsides. And it can be misdiagnosed for psoriatic arthritis. I mean, that was the case back when I was dealing with it decades ago. Is that still the case? Absolutely. It's misdiagnosed for a lot of things, including PMR, like polymyalgia, rheumatica. It's misdiagnosed with MS, with rheumatoid arthritis. So it's often misdiagnosed still. Okay, just to be clear, so when you say bullseye rash, for those who don't know what we're talking about, it literally looks like a bullseye. There's like a red center, and then there's a gap, and then there's like a raised or a red ring that comes up as well. So that's 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 sort of what it would look like, and it's called the bullseye. Anyways, how else would you diagnose or treat it, given that weird symptomology? Like, how do you deal with it? So, 
again, to properly assess Lyme disease in some areas in the States now, if you have had a tick bite and you start to develop these strange symptoms, some practitioners, medical practitioners, don't even test. They assume that you have Lyme disease and they treat it. In Canada, to be treated for Lyme disease, you have to have a positive ELISA test, which is a way of measuring the antibodies in your blood to Lyme disease. But there's a few problems with the ELISA test as well. Some people, because of the changes in immunity with autoimmune or not autoimmune, some people don't raise a lot of antibodies to the tick bite. Hmm. So the ELISA test comes back negative. If you get bitten by a tick, let's say, you know, you were out hiking this weekend, you had the bullseye rash, you went to get looked at, you got the ELISA test. Well, it actually might not be enough time for your body to raise that response. So the ELISA test may also come back falsely negative. And then if you were to be treated, let's say, again, walking this weekend, went to the doctor because you had a bullseye rash, you were given some antibiotics because the doctor thought maybe you had a tick and, you know, you need a course of antibiotics. Well, later you might develop some same symptoms because that antibiotic may have not been strong enough and actually killed off the Lyme disease. But because you had antibiotics initially, again, the ELISA test may be negative. Hmm. So in Canada, that's basically our only diagnostic tool that's allowed from a medical doctor perspective. There's another test in the States called Igenix, which in the States is one of the most well-known and popular tests for Lyme disease. It's ordered by medical doctors and naturopathic doctors. In Canada, naturopathic doctors can order this test, and I've seen actually a few more medical doctors ordering it too, but they're sending the patient's blood to the state where it's having other tests run on it, including Western blot and a little bit deeper and different way of teasing out if there's Lyme disease in the blood. And why that's necessary, one, because of all the reasons I just mentioned, but two, the Lyme disease bacteria is a type of bacteria called a spherocyte, which is kind of like a corkscrew-like bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that's not as common as other types of bacteria. This bacteria can actually hide and it can make little cap, like encapsulate itself. So it's also very hard sometimes to find in the blood. So that's why we do need more advanced testing in order to actually find if it's in the patient's blood or not. So a couple of questions. As a naturopath, these tests that you can or maybe the doctors have to order, is it covered by insurance or is this something that's going to be out of pocket for somebody if they're concerned? Out of pocket. And with that said, the Igenix is the one in, in the States. There's another one in Germany, Armin Labs, which is very good, but also out of pocket. And that will cost anywhere from around, I'd say, 400 to 600 Canadian dollars. Wow. All right. Yeah. So is there good news? If you catch it early enough, will the antibiotics help you or once you have it, you've got a bigger problem? Well, again, this is the controversial area. Right. Yeah. You know, because in Canada, if we do catch it early, generally speaking, you're given doxycycline, which is a type of antibiotic. It's shown to be very effective. I've seen it be quite effective in practice. But the treatment in Canada with doxycycline is much weaker for a shorter duration. In the States and in Germany, they often use that same medication of doxycycline, but they use much higher dose for a longer duration. So that's the first step. Then if you don't catch it early enough, because the bacteria does change, it starts hiding in the tissues of the body, it encapsulates itself, you often need many different types of antibiotics. And the most successful cases I've seen have been using a mixture of antibiotics and natural therapies as well. So let's talk about that. What does the natural therapy world provide in terms of treatments? So certain herbs have been shown to be helpful in killing off the Lyme bacteria. 
And we haven't really touched on this, but the tick does have kind of like a needle-like projection that comes out of the front of it. And that's where it kind of puts its needle into the human and it sucks up the human's blood. And during that time, it transmits any bacteria that's in its gut into the human. And you can kind of liken that to a dirty needle. So although ticks are well known for carrying this Borrelia burgdorferi, which causes Lyme disease, they can also carry other bacteria known as Babesia or bacteria that causes Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which may need other antibiotics or other herbs to treat. And so if you have Lyme disease and if you do get treatment that you're open to doing both, you know, conventional and and complementary, there are medication and antibiotics that address these multiple different types of known co-infections like Rocky Mountain body flavor. Hmm. Okay. So what would you recommend if somebody came to you or if you if there was a diagnosis of Lyme disease, what can you do and what sort of relief would you get from it? So first they have to have, you know, some sort of lab test that does say yeah. that they have yeah. the Lyme. You know, again, if they've had the symptoms for many years, sometimes the co-infections don't come up properly, but you want to also make sure that they're that they don't have other infections that masquerade like Lyme disease, such as syphilis, which can look like Lyme disease. Again, we don't think of syphilis as being around much anymore, but syphilis is also a spirochete-like bacteria. So they have to have all this blood work done. They have to have a positive Lyme test. And then generally, I work in conjunction with a medical doctor who can provide medications like doxycycline and things like hydroxychloroquine, which is very popular in the news right now, but it's an anti-malarial drug. It also has been shown to be effective against some of these co-infections in Lyme. And then I use different herbs, sometimes things like astragalus, andrographis, echinacea, garlic, Japanese knotweed that all have some literature showing to be effective. But again, it's, it is very nuanced because it depends how long the person's had Lyme disease. Some of these, yeah. these medications and these herbs don't work in the acute phase. They're only used for chronic phase. And likewise, some of them should never be used in chronic phase. They should only be used in the acute phase. So you do have to be working with someone that's treated Lyme, that's well-versed. So it's known kind of as being a Lyme literate doctor. Okay. Are there any resources? Like if you needed to find a Lyme literate doctor, how would you go about doing that? Generally speaking, I send my patients to the States to find a medical doctor that's Lyme literate, that's eyelids trained. And because in Canada, a lot of medical doctors, even if they're on board and they understand all these issues, again, they can't use some of these medications we spoke about because there's only this one medication approved for treatment of Lyme disease in Canada. So a lot of my patients go to the state to see MDs that are Lyme literate, and then they come back and and they're, they're back and forth between myself or another ND and an MD in the state. So if you go to eyelids, the I... L-L-A-D-S. You Google that. There's a whole lot of information on there. There's a wonderful book called Why Can't I Get Better by Dr. Richard Horowitz. He's a medical doctor in the States that has devoted his last, I think, 30 years to properly understanding and treating Lyme disease. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about this. And it sounds like there's a lot more that we can learn about it. Next month, we're going to discuss uh, the interconnectedness of naturopathy and conventional Western medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to deal with family squabbles during COVID-19 on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. 
They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Leslie Sandler Griff has been practicing as a social worker who specializes in couples therapy for over 20 years. For more information about her expertise, you can always visit www.lesliesandlergriff.com. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well, Jamie. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing well, but I have to tell you, and I think you know this because we, we've known each other a long time. Everybody's in the house and we all love each other dearly. I, I suppose I have to preface it that way. But, you know, with familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes we get into contemptuous situations and little spats and squabbles. So I thought, you know, I should bring you on the show today because this is your expertise. You know, are you seeing that with the people that you see? Is there more fighting going on during COVID? I think we can safely say that, yes, there are more, you know, what you've referred to before as tips. Yeah. That are happening between family members, couples, housemates. I mean, you name it. We're experiencing more conflict in our homes because we're home more. Exactly. And I want to preface this. You know, we are not talking about abusive situations or or chronic issues or serious, you know, all fights are serious, but what we're addressing now are spats, squabbles, tiffs, misunderstandings, those sort of things, right? The- yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been an increase in the divorce rate. People yep. are tiffing more, definitely. But the reality is, is that there are some sharp increases in domestic violence situations that are happening, not only in the GTA, but like worldwide. Yeah. And if you fear that someone that you know or yourself are in a situation that is abusive, then you need to get them or yourself to get access to help. You can call the Assaulted Women's Helpline or the local Children's Aid Society in your area. You can email me. I will help you to get the supports that you need. You just can't stay quiet on this. It's too dangerous. Agreed. But when we're focusing on perhaps temporary or less serious confrontations, yeah. What are some tools that, you know, you could recommend to, to keep people out of those situations before they start? Well, I guess the first thing that I can say is to be extra self-aware. If your loved one or your roommate is bothered by your whistling or your knee shaking, I'm making those up, <laughs> try not to do that in their presence. Right. If you do, because it's habit and habit, of course, is our heart to break. Uh, when you notice yourself doing that, Thing, whatever it is that pisses the other person off, apologize and stop. Also, ask to be reminded if you don't notice yourself doing it, and then apologize then. We all have to take responsibility for our own actions. It goes a long way in quarantine and otherwise guaranteed. Take responsibility for what you do. Okay. 
Fortunately for me, I have a wife who's always prepared to show me when I'm annoying her. So I don't have that problem. She'll let me know. But I, I, understand, okay. I understand there are spouses out there who perhaps don't let the other one know when things are going awry. Well, well that's right. And sometimes keeping things to yourself is really a recipe for disaster under this, you know, in this environment that we are in. So we have to be able to be extra communicative. So if we think that we are, you know, the one who tells your partner or your housemate, whatever, everything that's pissing you off, tell them more and tell them in a way that they can understand. Communication is the key to avoiding so-called tips at every time, but during COVID, way more. I would add this. I would say, look, if something's bothering you, don't mention it in the moment. Why don't you mention it? Like, take a breather, go for a walk, see if it's still bugging you. And if it is, raise it not in the moment, but at a different time so it doesn't lead to escalation, right? Like, right. instead of saying, you know, this is really annoying me right now, it's more like, you know, yesterday you were doing that. Could you, would you mind not doing it? And then it seems less confrontational, I think. Yeah. So I suggest having regular check-ins at prearranged times that work for everyone. So not when someone's tired, not when someone's hungry or working or has a deadline or something. But make sure that you are meeting regularly to discuss issues, whatever they are. Sometimes they'll be positive. More likely they'll be negative. But, you know, (laughs) that's the way it goes. And then once a time is made, create a signal. I find calendar invites in my situation work wonderfully. Everybody shows up for a calendar invite usually, you know. And depending on your group size and the ages in your group will determine how often you need these so-called check-ins to happen. Make sure everybody gets a turn to speak during those meetings, five minutes max. Keep a timekeeper and appoint them and stick to it. You can go oldest to youngest, then reverse. It looks like we're in this for the long haul, Jamie. Like maybe another six months more. No, so no, I won't buy that. So, so we need to keep. We need to <laughs> if we haven't already started the practice of having these regular check-ins. Yeah, it's a really great way to allow everybody to talk exactly about the beefs that you may be noticing in a safe place, not while they're happening, like you said. All right. I would add, uh, how should I put this? I have a critical mind and I can laser focus in on what's bugging me, but I find if you start there, you may not get the reception that you want. You know, I think it's always helpful to remind people what you like about them too, right? And just sort of, you don't have to sugarcoat it, but you can say, hey, I love you. You are a great conversationalist, but I wish you maybe would speak a little bit more quietly when you're expressing your views, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, no question. So I think that, you know, the knowledge that everyone in your household is deeply committed to the well-being, safety and security of the group and each of its individuals is really key. So, like, I, I think you're right that you need to be able to, as a group, agree on that as a premise before anything else can happen. Right. And then, you know, you can constructively say, hey, Jamie, you're raising your voice there. And I really don't like that because you've already reminded everybody in the group that their safety and security and their well-being is utmost of concern to you. Right. So you're adding context. So it isn't just griping. It isn't just here's what I don't like about you. It's like, hey, we're in this together. You think for another six months. Gosh, I hope not. But I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be the pessimist because I'm generally not. But I think six months is all. 
optimistic. Okay, well, that's for another day. But but, yeah. but I think if, if people understand where you're coming from, and, and that may not be obvious, we take it for granted that everybody understands what our perspective is, and we don't mean to be confrontational. But I think if you say to somebody, you know, like, I still love you, you're still my wife, or we're still your parents, or whatever your relationship is, and I'm telling you this out of a place of love because we've all got to kind of get along together better, I think that goes a long way. I think it does. And the acknowledgement that it's hard for everybody and everybody is dealing with their own crap and their own sort of insecurities about the worries about the pandemic and about, you know, the state, the sort of the health, physical health, the mental health, then throw in economics and throw in all these other things that everybody is worried about. It's a very legitimate time to be extra on edge and you and your group of family, whatever that looks like, need to address that and say, we're in this together and we love each other or we respect each other or we need each other in spite of all of this. So what would you recommend? What if things get too far and for all your our best intentions, we're in the middle of a spat? What would you recommend to diffuse the situation? You know, I'm, I'm going to go back to mindfulness. I'm going to go back to deep breaths walks or runs around the block, sometimes meditation, journaling is also quite effective. Write down what you are thinking. Don't say it, but write it down or type it down, Whatever, however you would do it. Record it. Do whatever you need to do to get it out. The knowledge that you might have a beef sharing meeting coming up to be able to bring it to is a really valuable tool. So if you're in the middle of something and you notice you're already there, yep. Step back, say, you know what? I think this is better discussed at this meeting and just end it there. Right. Until the time where you're all together in a group where you've agreed to talk about this. I want to clarify something you said, and maybe you disagree with me on this, but when you're talking about writing it down, I understand what you're doing. It's collecting your thoughts. It's a way of getting it out without necessarily confronting the person. But I would Uh never share that with anybody else. That's for you, right? You know, it depends. You're not going to hand someone a list of everything that they're (laughs) terrible at. I would say that that would be, you know, a, a bad way of going about things. But it depends on what kind of communicator you are, Jamie. So you may be the kind of communicator where you write everything down that you think and you use expletives and you're, you know, the always and the nevers come out. And, you know, then, yeah, you're not going to share that. But if you can, you know, sort of be... I'm going to say poetic, for lack of a better word. Yeah. But if you can be creative, and, and your tool or your gift of communication is writing, which it is for some people, yep. then I encourage that. So everybody has a different way of communicating. Sometimes it's through songs. Sometimes it's through written words. Sometimes it's through a drawing or a picture. And again, depending on ages, that might be really appropriate in your family. Yeah, I get that. Get it out. Yeah. All right. We have time for one last question and it's a biggie. So we'll just try and do our best. But let's say we've had a spat. How would you recommend to move forward from there? Well, you know, spats are inevitable. They really are inevitable in this environment, but in any environment, they need to be discussed and they need to be discussed at a time that is not in the middle of the argument. So I recommend stopping in the middle of whatever you're doing and saying, we should not discuss this now. Someone needs to say that, whether you want to elect the oldest person in your group to say it, the most vulnerable, it doesn't really matter. Someone needs to say, we need to save this for another time. This is going nowhere. 
And that needs to be respected as part of the way that you and your partner or your family members move forward through this. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. That was really helpful. Okay. Well, my pleasure. And please call on me again whenever you have some questions. Fantastic. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Naomi Bussin, Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND, and Leslie Sandler-Griff. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine, but Tonic's generally available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss how COVID-19 is inspiring new healthcare best practices for the new normal healthy host gifts for cottage visits, the mindful approach to loneliness, and sports injury triage. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.